I don't actually know how this thing works properly. There we go, that works. But um, it really is good to see you and great to be here. I really am sorry for those that have cancelled plans, cancelled holidays. Uh, we've had to do that as well. Natalie tested positive a couple of weeks ago or when we, as we went on leave. And so we had to cancel all our plans. Fortunately, she was sick for literally one day and that was it. But um, it really is a trying moment, eh? When you're thinking, oh, we've, we, now we're going to get to it. No, not. But um, friends, there is incredible hope in Christ. And we've got to make sure that we are found, finding ourselves in him because that's where the hope is. And we've got to be a people of hope. We've got to be a people of hope around the Christmas table, around the dining room table this afternoon, or wherever we're eating or whatever we're doing today. We are people of hope. We're not the negative, cynical ones. We're the positive, um, kind of hopeful ones. Got to remind myself that as well sometimes because I can easily go that way. But, um, but really is, it really is an amazing day to celebrate together. You know the word Christmas? I was thinking about this the other day. It's Christ and Mass, obviously. You kind of know that. So what we've done over time is we've, the world is, what they've done is they've made it ex-Mass. They kind of just took Christ out and put, made it ex-Mass. But, but Christ Mass is, Christ obviously means Messiah, the, the one that everybody was putting their hope in to come and save the world. That was the Jewish expectation. And then the word Mass which we've been speaking a little bit about as we've been talking about the table and hospitality and what it means to, be, to do life around a table and particularly looking at the communion table. And one of the words that gets used for the communion table is the word mass. It's not in the New Testament, but it's one of the words that the church has used a lot over the centuries, mass. And that word mass comes from, from a little uh, a Latin phrase called ita missa est, Ita missa est. And that ita missa est was shortened to mass. And what ita missa est means is go, I have sent you. So whenever you break bread together, actually you, you're saying, I'm being sent. This is the blood and the body of Jesus. This is the new covenant I have in him. This is the sacrifice that I have in him. This is the power and the presence that I have with me. Now go, you are sent. That's what the word mass means. So Christmas... Christ, Mass, simply means the Messiah that was sent. So God, on that day, said, go, you are sent. In fact, maybe, go, you are sent, when he hovered over Mary's womb, nine months before this day. Go, you are sent. And Jesus comes into the world to be king and create, to be king and savior of all things. It's a profound, profound story. I mean, it's it, it actually, it's, we kind of watch all these sci-fi kind of fantasy movies. I tell you what, this, this story would take the cake, would take the whole lot, would actually be the story to put together in a profound way. Except it's not fantasy, it's true. It's real. So Chris, Christmas is the sending of Christ. So, and in this moment, hope is born, as I said earlier. And the thing is, is, Hope is born today, but 33 years later, the king was raised from the dead. So there was 33 years between hope being born and hope coming, becoming reality. And I think one of the things that we've got to do as we face Christmas in this time is we've got to learn to steward hope. 
Otherwise, you can lose hope. So hope needs to be stewarded. It needs to be looked after. It needs to be, hope needs to grow like Jesus did. Hope needed parents to look after what was spoken to them so that Jesus could become the man he was called to be. You see, hope needs community. It doesn't just happen on its own. Hope needs grace. It needs the empowerment of God. Something that you don't deserve to be received so that you can grow in your hope. And there's a real sense in my heart as I was preparing this morning is we've got to learn to steward hope. Otherwise, hope doesn't become what it's intended to be. Let's learn to steward hope over this time. Let's hold on to hope. What I want to do this morning is I want to look at the the story of Jesus. I want to read a text out of Luke chapter 2, verse 3 to 7. And we kind of as a church, for those, forgive me for those that are not part of the church, we are, we're in a, in a series now talking about hospitality and the table and the power of the table in the life of, a, of Jesus and so in the life of his church and the, ta- the life of a Christian. And I've, I've said this multiple times, the church is one pulpit, but it's got hundreds of tables. So guess where most of the ministry should be happening? Around our tables. This is an incredibly important part of the church. This is a moment where we get charged. This is a moment where we keep the plumb line straight. This is a moment where we get encouraged. This is a moment that we worship God and we find God and we have revelation and we hopefully get truth put into us. But all of that gets worked out in a table. It gets worked out around a meal, an ordinary meal. An ordinary meal where Jesus is present. And one day we will eat a meal with him, it says in the scriptures. The wedding day of the feast, the feast, this wedding day where that feast will be eaten, where Jesus will literally be present. Cannot wait. And so part of this table and this kind of hospitality thing, I thought actually what I'm going to do today is I'm going to call this the Christmas table. And I want to look at how Mary and Joseph were able to receive people that ended up being incredible gifts to them. Because you see, not only are we hospitable by giving, when we're hospitable, we get. When we're hospitable, the Greek word is xenophilia, the love of strangers, which is the opposite of xenophobia, the fear of strangers. So hospitality in the scriptures, Jesus does most of his work around the table, where he's engaging people, talking to people, asking them questions. But it was incredible to see how Mary and Joseph did that right in the beginning. So let me go to Luke chapter 2, verse 3. Luke chapter 2, verse 3. All went to be registered, each in his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. So everybody went back to their birthplace. To be registered with Mary, his betrothed, he was engaged to her, who was with child. Not a good story to be not married with child. Not, not, not ideal in the Jewish, in any custom, I suppose, but particularly in that moment. This was a scandal. 
And the biggest scandal was that Joseph stayed with her. Because now, Mary, you're carrying another man's child. And don't give me the story, God did it. I've heard that before. That's why it says betrothed and with child. It was a, this, was a, this was a difficult time. This was a very difficult journey for Joseph. God had to speak to him. Very difficult, yes, for Mary, for God had to speak to her. And it carries on. It says, and while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Quite interesting that word, no place for them in the inn. So, the word used for inn there is not the word that was used with the Good Samaritan where he took him to a place like a public hospitality place, to a BB. The word in there is not that word. It's, it's, it's more than likely there was no place in the family guest room. So, Joseph and them come home. Obviously, everybody's coming home, the house is full. But, and there was no place for them in the guest room. There was no place for them in the family home. And so what they do is they go and find a place in a cave because most of the houses in those days were kind of built out of a cave or close to a cave or kind of a shelter. And they went and they found place there with the animals. And that's why he is born in a manger, in a feeding trough, and wrapped in swaddling cloths. Swaddling cloths was not because it, it's, it's describing the ordinariness of Jesus. Even king's kids were wrapped in swaddling cloths. Jesus was just like any other child that was born, but in a manger. I wonder if they knew who he was, whether they would have made room for him. Remember now, Joseph and Mary are coming back. The family all knows they're not married and she's pregnant. Little bit of a scandal. No place for you. Maybe you go sleep there. We don't know. But imagine if they had known. Imagine if that family had known that this was Jesus, the Messiah. What they would have done. Listen, I would imagine Mary and Joseph themselves were probably thinking, Lord, what is going on here, if you're real? This has happened. Mary knows, I haven't slept with anybody, but I'm pregnant. So she knows there's something very different here. But imagine, imagine this is the context into which Jesus was born. The ordinariness, the, the description that the birth of Jesus is so full of the ordinariness of this young boy that is born, that is ultimately going to become the savior of the world. And so many of, of, of us as Christians try not to live ordinary lives, like we, like we ordinary people, relying on a powerful, extraordinary God. So which, they come to this inn, there's no place for the inn, there's no place for them. It's, it's quite amazing that Jesus, right from the very beginning, was not received well. I mean, it says in John chapter 1, he came to what was his own, but his own people did not receive him. 
It's like he, he wasn't received. He, people didn't know how to receive him. Mary and Joseph had to learn to receive him. But the art of hospitality at the Christmas table is the ability to receive people. And I want to look at two groups of people that Mary and Joseph received that ultimately were unexpected guests at their home that blessed them profoundly. And I have a suspicion that over this time, if we will learn to receive people, we will be blessed by those we receive. And we'll have a look at that right now. So the first group of people that Mary and Joseph receive wonderfully in this Christmas story are shepherds. Shepherds. And we see this in, in, in um, Luke chapter 2. The shepherds, now, now to understand the shepherds, we've got to know the shepherds were not well liked by the elite. They, they kind of would seem they looked down on. They were ordinary, poor people. They looked after the sheep. They were stinky, they were smelly, and they stayed out there. They didn't come in here. And because they were looking after sheep, they didn't get to come to the religious activities of the day. So, so shepherds were poor, they were lonely, they were kind of unclean, and, and due to the proximity of where the sheep were, were looked after, it was more than likely that they were looking after the sheep that were going to be used for the sacrifices in the temple. So they were integral to this process, but they themselves were kind of their sheep, the sheep were more valued than them in some measure. And what God does is he comes and he appears to these people first. He comes to shepherds and he says, and he reveals the story of God and he announces to them that Jesus, the Christ, the Lord, is to be born in Bethlehem. He is to be born. And they are like kind of just, wow, this is incredible. And, and it says in, in, in uh, Luke chapter 2, uh, David, uh, this day, in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ, the Lord, will be born. And this will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. So these guys have this moment. They, they have an angelic encounter where the angels are saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. It's like they have this amazing moment and they have this incredible moment and they think, well, cheapers, we've got to do something about this. So what they do is they decide, no, well, let's go and find this kid. So they go off to the town, and imagine now, I want to describe the ordinary, the ordinariness of this. They would have gone from house to house looking for a baby that was lying in a manger. You see, the manger was the telltale sign. Not a massive town. They would have gone and intentionally looked. And they come to Jesus, and they find Mary and Joseph with this newborn child. Now remember now, Joseph and Mary don't know these guys from a bar of soap. So this is not like, hey, my friends are coming to see, I've just had a baby, come and look at the baby. This is them coming and looking for, they are smelly, they are sweaty, they stink of sheep, and they stink of sheep dung, whatever that's called, they, they, they're there now and they've come and they said, by the way, we've had this moment with God where the angels have said, this is the Messiah. 
to a mom and a dad who are just young, Mary, Mary probably 15 or 16, maybe younger, who's trying to wrestle with what's going on here. And Jesus, they come and they, and it says in Luke chapter two, verse 19, after they told Mary and Joseph of all they saw and what God said, it says this in verse 19, Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. Is that the, the beard dog making a noise there? Stored, and Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. So she received, she had the ability to let these people into the door, first of all, and then to receive what they had to say, and she says she stored them up in her heart and started thinking through the implications of what this means. Imagine what this did for Mary. Everything God had told her nine months before then. Yes, it's true. These arbitraries coming from nowhere are coming and telling me exactly the same thing. It blesses and reassures, reassures her and encourages her that what she's done and what's happened is exactly what God has said. You see, friends, when we can receive people, even if they're ordinary, even if they're Jewish nobodies, They were able to leave the gift of encouragement and reassurance and the testimony of what God has said to them. And so she received this incredible gift that she treasured up and pondered in her heart. Then it says, and the shepherds returned back to their fields glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard. That's the one group of people. The second group of people are magi. Now, just to blow your kind of Christmas story, the Magi probably came up to two years difference to the shepherds. So it wasn't like the shepherds came and then the next day the Magi came. And you see that quite clearly in the text as you kind of read the story in Matthew because the kind of tone changes. So it says this in Matthew, the Luke version, when the, sorry, when the, the, the shepherds come. And it says, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. So the shepherds come saying, this is what the Lord said, whatever. But they're not just saying it to Mary and Joseph. It says, all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. So now you've got the family who are kind of, listen, not only are you pregnant, but now you're getting these shepherd guys in. I've got to listen to this. And they all hear the same story that Mary and Joseph told them. So something's starting to happen in their hearts now. But look at the story in Matthew chapter 2. The Magi, let me just give you some background. The Magi are kind of wizards, sorcerer, professors of the arts of witchcraft. The, the, the Jews were told, do not associate it with these guys. This is ceremony, this is like demonic, don't go there. That was the Old Testament to them. They were kind of pagan astrologers and their skills, their divination skills were widely received in the Greco-Roman world. They were like kind of respected as these, these sages 
And the reason why they come to Jerusalem is that they see in the stars, a star has come, a, a, a king has been born. And so they go to Jerusalem and they go to Herod's house because obviously if a king's going to be born, you've got to go to the king's house. So they go there first. Herod gets a little bit itchy about this because he is going to be challenged. Oh, what do you mean another king is born? Please tell me where you, when you find them, tell me where they are. You know the story, some of us. And then we, and they go and they leave there and then eventually they find Mary and Joseph. But look at what it says when they find them in verse 11 of Matthew chapter 2. It says, and going into the house, see now they're not going into the inn, different word. Going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. It's kind of like the family have kind of realized, you know what, there's more to the story than what we thought. Let's bring them from that cave and bring them back into the house. Because now we know, actually, maybe this child is something special. And the, the Magi now come in, and they give a different kind of gift. They worship him. They prostrate themselves like they would to any other king. It's not like they're worshiping him, acknowledging him as Savior and Lord. They, they, that's what you would do to a king. You would acknowledge this is a king. They worshiped him. That's the sense. And then what they do, these rich, respected pagans, as opposed to poor, disrespected Jewish shepherds, are received by the family, are received by Mary and Joseph, and they leave gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Which is why we think that there are three magi. doesn't say there are three, there are just three gifts. So people think, well, one gift each. But you don't know how many there are. But they leave these imported, expensive gifts with the family. And then they leave and go by a different route. They don't go back to Pilate. But most, and the point that, the thing that really strikes me when I think of our ability to receive people is can we receive lowly shepherds, but can we also receive rich, respected pagans? Both left gifts that were crucial for their future. And so when we get around the Christmas table, are we able to look through the packaging and find the gold, frankincense, and myrrh that God wants to give us around the Christmas table this, this afternoon? I thank God that Mary and Joseph were open to receive from God the gift of Jesus as a young girl saying yes to God, as a young man acknowledging the dream and carrying out an obedience with all the scandal that went with it. I thank God that they did that. I thank God that shepherds were able to come and encourage this young couple to reassure them and to bless them and to say, this is the king. And for them to be, treasure these things and ponder them and begin to thinking. You know, pondering is a big word. It's like you're thinking through the implications. Imagine a mom. Imagine Mary. How am I going to raise this kid? Do I need to go take him to school or is he just going to be clever automatically? 
I don't know. I'm thinking, well, what is this going to be? Like, is this child ever going to be naughty? I don't know. She's pondering. She's thinking. She's thinking in an ordinary way. But with an extraordinary grace over her life to fulfill what God has put in her life. I thank God that they were able to receive the Magi. That they were spotted. I mean, imagine, guys. I've been trying to think what would Magi be in today's terms for us? Maybe a Sangoma? I don't know. You see, the hospitality of God is the way that we get people into our presence so that the presence that is within us, the Holy Spirit in Christ, can be with them. And maybe that's a little bit too far-fetched. But friends, this, this was an unbelievable moment of hospitality and receiving that enabled this family to do what they were called. You know the resources, I thought the resources of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. You know, after this, the, the Herod goes and he, and he kills all the boys less than two years old. That's why I'm saying maybe two years. Because remember it says there, going into the house, they saw the child with Mary and his mother. So the, that word child is not baby. It's like he could have been a little one-year-old. And they fall down and they worship and they give the gifts. But those gifts were the things that the resources that took them back to Egypt. God wants to give you gifts of encouragement, of blessing, of reassurance, of financial blessing, of gold and frankincense and myrrh. But sometimes those gifts are going to come in different packages. And our ability to be, to love strangers, to love other people, the other, will determine our ability to receive those gifts that God's got for us. And when I read this story, I think, God, thank you that these were hospitable men and women. Be ready to receive unusual gifts. Actually, be ready to receive normal gifts from unusual people over this time. Hold on to hope. Steward the hope that we have in Christ and allow it to become full grown in our hearts so that we can stand strong and get through the other side of this pandemic with faith and strength in our hearts, friends. Be ready to receive from Jews and Gentiles, from believers and unbelievers, from rich and from poor. Don't think because people are poor they've got nothing to give. They've got something to give called faith, which is more valuable than gold. From disrespected and disregarded, today, right at the birth, and maybe in a year's time, when you need another resource gift from an unexpected source. Friends, this Christmas story, I mean, you can preach it so many ways. It's just profound to just get into the truth of the Word of God and to just allow what God is speaking to you to come to birth. It's all here in, this, in the text.
Holy Spirit wants to speak to us. Father, I just thank you for what you're wanting to do in our lives, Lord God. I pray that our tables will be full of life, full of your life, full of resurrection life, full of hope. I ask you, Holy Spirit, that you, if there's people here that are literally on the edge of hopelessness, I pray right now, Holy Spirit, you'd fill them with your love, fill them with hope. There is hope. His name is Jesus. It's a person. And he's looking for you. He's trying to find you. He wants to give you the gift. The profound gift of peace. The profound gift of forgiveness. The profound gift of love and kindness. And I pray, Lord God, that you would, you would help us to minister around our tables, Lord. I pray that we would see ourselves as ministers of God. Maybe not from a pulpit, but from the seat at a table, speaking life and hope into people's hearts. I pray for that in Jesus' mighty name, Lord. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your life. Thank you for what we have in you. Thank you for healing for those that are sick. I think of Derek Watson right now who is in hospital fighting for his life, Lord. Cure his blood disorder, Lord God. Cure his blood disorder, Lord God. Break into his body. I pray right now as he's sitting there, Lord God, that you would come and you'd put oxygen in his lungs and you'd restore his blood, Lord God. Make his bones make blood again, Lord God, in Jesus' name, Lord God. And all those that are sick, Lord God, bring healing and power. You want to gift, bring the gift of healing to people. I pray that you would do that, Jesus. Let us be healing at the table this morning, this afternoon. Pray for that in your incredible, incredible name. Amen. Amen. Let's